Thanks for listening to the Revival Today podcast with evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth. To stay connected, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or online at revivaltoday.com. Now, here's evangelist Jonathan. I want you, if you have your Bibles, open them with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're watching on YouTube, glad that you're watching. You already have my title. Before we pray for you, my wife and I, uh, we titled today, Do You Need a Miracle? Questions about healing that deserve an answer. Whatever questions people have about healing, I know this is a very audacious thing to say. But I I grew up in church. When I say I grew up in church, I mean two weeks out of the hospital, I was headed to church with my dad, and we lived on the road. We didn't have an apartment until we got our first uh, Strimmel Brothers apartments in Houston, Pennsylvania. That was the first ones we had. Good to see you, Christian. Is Christian going to have Spanish headset translation by Sunday? If not, if someone can work on that. I want all the Spanish people to come back. This Sunday, they're going to have Spanish. All right, this Sunday, you have Spanish translation. I'll do my best uh, tonight. I'll throw in, like, a word here and there. <laughs> Hola, guapo. Lo siento, mi español es feo. Um, I've heard all the arguments against healing. If somebody tells me they don't believe in healing, I'm basically waiting for them to finish the argument, and I almost feel like saying, I, if you want, I could make your argument for you better than you, because I've, I've been around people that are anti-miracle and anti-healing. The questions aren't invalid. That's why I titled it tonight, Questions that deserve an answer. Before we go to 2 Corinthians 12, go to the book of James. I want to show you something about how faith works. Hebrews, James, Peter, Peter, John. So James is one over from Peter. Verse 1. James chapter 1. James, the first chapter in the fifth verse. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. He won't rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure. Nah, it's translation. Anybody have King James? Ah, me and you are going to be even better friends by the end of the night. James 1, 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Look at that in the nature of God. Who giveth to all men. The Bible helps you get to know God. Rather than do what everybody does in our generation, fashion God in their image. I think God doesn't matter what you think. Any more than what you think my dad should be like. He is like he is. And God has a nature and a personhood, and the Bible helps you discover that. So how is God? The Bible says when you ask him for something, he doesn't upbraid you or rebuke you. He gives liberally. He's not upset when you ask. Most people's preface to their prayer is under the assumption that they're bothering God. God, I know you've already done so much for me. Let me just ask you one more thing, and then you'll never hear from me again. That's not God. Any more than you'd want your child to say, if you help me out, I'll never talk to you again. No, you enjoy your child. You're not God's problem. You're God's child. God's your father. So the Bible says when you, if you need wisdom, and you could go from Genesis through Revelation, if you need anything, then ask him. He doesn't resent your asking, but he gives liberally and upbraideth not. And it shall be given to him. It shall, not it might, it shall. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. 
For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord. So there's a way to go about your relationship with God that according to James 1, 5 through 8, guarantees that you'll never receive anything from God. And it's not that you have to, you know, who, who are you going to meet in Pittsburgh or Texas? I don't believe in God. I don't believe, you'd meet a few, 2%. They can't get the percentage up above 4% after 60 years of public school indoctrination trying to get people to hate God. They still can't get it over 4%. Most people, I believe there's some higher power. I believe there's a God. You know, we're in Pittsburgh. This is not, we're not in an Islamic jihadist place. We're Greek Orthodox, Catholic, uh, Presbyterian would be the three strongest till this place is around about another eight months and then it'll be uh, charismatic full gospel. Amen. But that's what you have. Well, even Presbyterians and Catholics, Catholics believe in miracles. Presbyterians believe God's sovereign and, and can do uh, uh, as he wills. So it's not that people say, I don't believe in God, and I don't believe that God can heal people. It's that, yes, God can, but you can't expect it. You can't hold them to it. Because, as many of you have heard, God is what? What's the word that starts with an S? God's sovereign. So is God sovereign? Yes, God is sovereign. So they use that as that God can do what he wants, when he wants, and we can't pin him down on anything. But there's a problem with that. Why can you expect, what's that song we just sang? I expect a miracle today because God's word is still the same. God is sovereign, but in his sovereignty, he chose what? What is it? We're playing Pictionary. <laughs> what did God choose in his sovereignty? His word. Who wrote this? It has different authors, but the Bible says no man wrote as they wanted to. All scripture is inspired by God or God breathed. That's, that's the number one crux of Christianity. It's the foundation of Christianity. You can't add, you can if you want. If you add anything to this, I will add to that person the plagues described in this book. If you take anything away from it, I'll take away from that person his share in the Lamb's book of life. So you have the word of God settles everything. So God's word was written, what no man wrote as he wanted, the Bible says, they wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost, not of private interpretation. So from Genesis to Revelation, though God used different men and women to author the Bible, it has one author, and his name's the Holy Ghost. So God in his sovereignty wrote this. This is the word of God, el palabra de Dios, the word of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. You can bank your life, and you've seen, I, I'm glad that the Lord's used me in 15 months to show you that when you can bank your life on that book. Our confession was not it's hard to build churches. Our question is, our, our confession was, you'll inhabit homes that you did not build. Adonis uh, played a voicemail from July of 2021. The church launched in uh, December 31st, 2020, no, yeah, so December, December 2021, so a few months before, and we got this building in October for free, 5.7 million, so we sowed $100,000 seed to Pastor Rodney and Adonica Howard Brown for their building, that was the first one, we sowed quite a few, and now it's starting to become our standard seed, so we gave it to them, and they were so touched, they said, let us pray, and who recorded it, you, 
So Adonis recorded their prayer and played it for me in the car in Texas yesterday, which I totally forgot about. Father, I thank you that as they've taken an interest in our church, somebody's constructing a church building for them right now without knowing that it's a church building, and they'll walk into it turnkey, ready to go. Did you know the only floor that was finished of this building was the third floor, and they let us keep all the furniture, 700000 to $1.1 million worth of furniture, depending on the estimate. Then floors one and two were empty, which if there were offices here, we'd have had to demo the whole thing. It was ready to come in and do it. By the way, the city, uh, Moon Township, just gave us the permit for the building this week at a, after all that. Amen. I'm telling you, it's been quite the week. Don't miss Sunday. Because we got that just as like on top. So I'm not going to jail. Amen. I can keep my haircut. I don't have to grow a mullet back out. Those days are over. So uh, that word came to pass. Well, what, what? why do things work here the way they work? Because we don't speak against God's word. Even going to Bible school, it's going to be hard in the ministry. It, we're in a post-Christian society. People don't go to church anymore. I'm not saying that because God didn't say that. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua, if you do what I tell you to do, no man will be able to stand before you as long as you live. I will give you good success in everything I've called you to do. Though there are, Though there is opposition, I will be with you. I will prosper you and I will bless you. God didn't say that to Joshua. What did, what did I just quote from the Bible? No scriptures of private interpretation. So God didn't tell Joshua that, and then him start writing it down, and God said, hey, what are you doing writing this down? This is a deal between me and you. No, God is no respecter of persons. What he does for one, he'll do for anybody that believes his word. That's another thing you got to settle. All these things that you read in the Bible were written to inspire you for what God will do for you. It's not so you, if you're sick and you see God heal the, the Syrophoenician woman, you say, boy, it would have been nice to be her. No, it's showing you that if God did that for her, if you'll take the steps others took, God will give you what he gave them. Why has this church grown? We, we charted in the book of Acts, what do they do? They were daily praying. They were daily preaching the word. And daily souls were being added uh, uh, to the church such as should be saved. I pulled in this afternoon, and our teams were loading in the rain, all their equipment up to go to the housing projects. I'm going to tell you right now, all these shootings that are starting to take place in Pittsburgh, they're going to stop as quick as they started because we're not going to see Pittsburgh turn into Philadelphia. Pittsburgh is going to be a center of revival, not murder. So we do it. We didn't alter the Bible to fit American culture. We're altering Americans to fit Bible culture. All night prayer. Where we pray all night. Not preach on praying all night. Not play soft worship music and journal. Prayer. All night. And then watch what happens. People just keep coming and getting saved and being drawn to the ministry. Then, then you, 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 know, you pray every day. I never had stuff like that happen before. Old man come and stop me. Hey, I came in here. I couldn't even see out of my eye. And they told me it's going to get worse. I, I can see about everything. And he says, getting clear even as I'm talking to you. Can you say amen? See, so if you do, the devil's last card he has to play for you is that this doesn't work today. That's what they're doing with everything. No, I know the Bible says that about sex, but that's outdated. Well, first of all, it's only Western culture that feels that way. 
They wouldn't let them display a rainbow anywhere in, in, uh, for the World Cup in the Middle East. It's not because it was a Christian World Cup. It's because 70% of the world thinks America's lost its mind. Decadence and, and, and gross. They show that drag queen stuff on foreign news. Everybody. What's wrong with those people? What's wrong with British people and American people? So you live here. You think it's normal. Well, times have changed. No. Some people have changed. In fact, even that, you basically have the culture, 99% of the people being dictated by like 0.3% of the population. But even if it was 99% of the people, what if you had to be like Noah and say the whole world may have lost its mind, but I know what God said. I'm going to build that boat and I'm going to be with my family in the ark of safety. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God's word is supreme. If you ever hear me come up to the pulpit one Sunday and say, now listen, I had a dream last night and the Lord had me author another book. And this book, we're going to add it on to the Bible. Please just punch me. <laughs> Mid-sentence. Because you're headed to hell. That's how every cult starts. Yeah. Well, we believe. Or you have to alter what's here. The Jehovah's Witnesses degrade Christ into being equal with Satan and the angels. So John chapter 1, they changed it. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God. And the word was a God. It doesn't say it was a God in the Aramaic. Christ is co-equal with God. Can you say God the Father? Can you say amen? amen? So as long as you keep this intact and search this out and don't read something in here and say, I don't like that. Does it matter? You'll be very surprised to find that God never consulted you before he wrote this. He's the most high God. James 1. Let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in how many of his ways? So God, Satan doesn't have to get you to be single-minded for his agenda. Nope, I don't believe in healing. I believe in getting sick. He doesn't have to get you to side with him. All he has to do is seed enough doubt where you don't have single-mindedness about what God's word says about you. Well, we know God heals some, but then I also had my Uncle Larry. He had a bunion on his foot, and we prayed for many years, and it, it actually got bigger until he couldn't even wear normal shoes. <laughs> yes, that's not a Bible story. So as, all the devil has to do is get one little bit. That's what the Bible talks about. A little leaven spoils the whole, the whole bit. It's like if you're baking a cake. So I've been told. You put all the ingredients in. And then you grab, there might be a big pot to make the cake, but if you take a big bunch of salt in one of your hands and throw it in, that's not the main ingredient. That doesn't constitute the majority of the weight of what's in the pot, but you've ruined the cake because it can't have that in it. So faith has to be divorced from unbelief in order to work. A double-minded man, well, sometimes I think this church should grow, but then sometimes I think, you know, maybe God just wants, maybe a small church is good. Then it's never going to grow. That's why a lot of the churches all over the country are in peril right now because they change what they believe all the time. When COVID came out, how many know it's good to just be in the house? How many know buildings aren't important? We can meet alone. Then two years later, we need to come back to church. How many know it's important to meet together? You were just saying it wasn't important. So you flip and flop and a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let not that man expect to receive anything from God. So you find out Say this with me. The devil has no new tricks. It's basically the same questions 
that Satan plants in people's minds. Notice what Satan did in the garden. Did the serpent come to Eve and say, hey, that God you serve is a liar, and um, you can eat the fruit of the tree. Forget him. Serve me. No. What did he say? Did God say? He just seeds a question. Enough to get you to doubt God and be double-minded on the subject of healing. You can't pray for the sick if in the back of your mind you're thinking, well, maybe God does want this person sick for his glory. Well, maybe God has different. You don't have faith. Faith begins where the will of God is known. When I know it's God's will, that two, we're not trying to establish something. 2,000 years ago, before he went to the cross, Jesus took stripes upon his back. Those stripes were not for sin. Those stripes were that by his stripes, you could be healed. The price was fully paid for your healing of every sickness and every disease. So when I know that, when somebody comes up for healing, I'm not, well, who knows? No, I know that Christ accomplished this work 2,000 years ago, and I'm simply here as his agent to enforce in your life the high price that's already been paid for your total healing. A high price online, a high price in Pittsburgh was paid for your healing. And tonight, no devil can hold back what Christ has delivered unto you by his precious holy blood. If you receive that, go ahead and clap your hands under the Lord. Second Corinthians 12. Verse 7. The Apostle Paul. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of my revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. That's not the most pleasant thing to, be, to repeat after a preacher, but I'm going to have you repeat it because I'm not reading this for no reason. Say, a mess, the messenger of Satan. Now just say one of the words. Say messenger. messenger. There was sent to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me. Buffet means to attack blow after blow. If you're in construction in a certain county, and there's a permit guy that doesn't like you. And it's like he just makes a point to track where you're doing business. I hope this isn't a word of knowledge. And go to where you're at and give you trouble. That's what that means. In the, it, it's, it was someone to harass Paul, a messenger, physical messenger, to harass Paul with blow after blow. A messenger was sent to me to harass me, to, to, to buffet me. Everybody say buffet me. So my Uncle Ted, how many of you have seen my Uncle Ted preach? He wrote a book called How to Get the Victory Over a Buffeting Spirit. And it was on his table. And when my cousin Teddy, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr., was traveling with him when he was 15, this large woman walked back to the table after the service and went, Oh, I need to get me that book, How to Get the Victory Over a Buffet Spirit. <laughs> and my cousin never corrected her. He sold her the book. Enjoy. That has nothing to do with tonight, but every time I read that verse, that pops back in my mind. It's not a buffet spirit. It's a... <laughs> that old country buffet spirit. <laughs> Pastor, I need the victory. Everybody say buffeting spirit. <laughs> Focus. 
a, a messenger sent from Satan to harass and attack with blow after blow. For this thing, I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Now he's going to tell you what, what it was. Reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, and in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, why read that verse if you're doing a, heal, a service on healing? Because most of you know, some of you had to answer it on your own when you started coming to this church and somebody watched online from your family. He says God wants everybody healed. What about Paul's thorn in the flesh? It's amazing, isn't it, how you can have that massive thick Bible and the devil has everybody gravitate to Paul's thorn in the flesh and Job. Right? So, why not answer it? What about Paul's thorn in the flesh? Well, this is written by a, a scholar named Finus Dake. He was a, he was a, uh, a Dane. From, 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 he's Danish. And he was a brilliant man. Now, this isn't something he wrote. This is, this is, you can find this in Baptist commentaries. You can find it because if you are honest with the original language, this is the interpretation. This is the most simple explanation of the thorn in the flesh that's possible for God or man to give. It was the messenger, Greek, agelos, A-G-G-E-L-O-S, pronounced angelos, meaning angel of Satan. Agelos is translated angel 179 times and messenger, physical messenger, seven times. It is never translated disease or physical infirmity, and never means any such thing. I'm going to read that one more time. It is never translated disease or physical infirmity, and it never means any such thing. That's not his opinion. We're going into, into the Greek. An angel of Satan, one of the spirit beings which fell with him, followed Paul and buffeted him when he was tempted to become exalted. Paul lists in chapter 11, verses 23 to 27, some of the things that this angel caused him to go through to keep him humble. This is there is not a disease in the entire list. Persecutions. Now, what do you see happen with Paul? Do you see him always having to cancel meetings because he had a sinus infection or a broken leg or hip dysplasia? I don't know if people can get that. I remember I had a Labrador retriever that had that, so I'm out of illnesses. I'm just trying to give some examples. No, you don't see Paul having trouble with sickness and disease. What do you see Paul having trouble with? Everywhere he went and held a meeting, someone would come, the Bible says, and stir up the Jews to say this man is blaspheming against the law of Moses until a riot would break out against Paul. True or false? All through the book of Acts. He's not having a meeting and getting cancer and can't finish the meeting. Actually, when you read Paul, he's very strong. When he got shipwrecked in his early 60s, all the prisoners are cold and shivering, and Paul is gathering wood 
There wasn't a wood sale. He's chopping wood after having been shipwrecked, freezing cold, and helping build a fire. Then a snake bites him, and he throws the snake off into the fire. Does that strike you as a sick man? Paul was blind. Where's that in the Bible? One time he said, they would, have, they would have given me their very own eyes if they could. That's called conjecture. If he was blind, how was he chopping wood? Uh, Paul, that's a telephone pole. Go, go over this way. You know, it's amazing how people can be very strict on Bible interpretation, and then in the one area they don't understand, all the rules go out the window. You can't take two verses and string them. You can't take Paul saying that those people love me so much they'd have ripped out their own eyes and given them to me if they could, and he said, this is me signing my name in large letters, and build a doctrine that Paul was blind any more than you can say that Judas hung himself, and Jesus said, go and do thou likewise in another place, and then make a doctrine of suicide. The Bible, do I have to string together three convoluted stories to come up with God being a mighty healer? Or from Genesis to Revelation, do we see a record of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Ghost going to war with sickness and disease? He healed all the sick, and they came to hear and to be healed. Has God changed? No. I am the Lord God, and I change not. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. What about Paul's thorn in the flesh? It wasn't sickness. It was persecution. And you're not allowed to pray your way out of that. Not like sickness. Jesus didn't take persecution on the cross. See, I get branded a health and wealth preacher. Which, yeah, like if that's an insult, I'm glad to have it. The stuff you get insulted by, by religious people is, is interesting. Oh, one guy called me, oh, that's pastor money bags. Is that an insult? I've been broke before. It's better to have abundance. It's nice to be able to preach in Fort Worth. Wake up in Texas and come back and be on time for your daughter's birthday party and hold a meeting in the greatest city in the world, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, without batting an eye. Can you say amen? I was eight or nine years old listening to evangelists. Y'all pray for me. We got a fat tire driving here. I'm believing God. The tread's all worn off our tires, but I'm believing God. No, you don't believe God. You buy new tires. We're tired. Almost every evangelist they'd have in when I was growing up, their whole first eight minutes of their sermon was how tired them and their wife are. We've been on the road. We're exhausted. If I seem a little slow this morning, I've been preaching 48 times in the last eight days. You know, all hardship. And I thought, this doesn't sound like the Bible. The Bible says when Jesus sent the disciples out, Luke twenty-two thirty-five. When I sent you out without purse or script or shoes, lackest thou anything? Did you lack anything? And they said, no, Lord. When he sent them out in Luke 10, the Bible says the 72 came back and joyfully reported all the things that were done. The mark of a minister that's walking in the anointing is they have what is resident in the anointing. Romans 14, 17. True religion is not meat and drink, but it is righteousness Peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. I have joy. You have joy because it's a Holy Ghost church. I'm not standing up here. 
How many know? I want you to know I'm in therapy. I believe every Christian should be in therapy. That's what they're teaching now. I'm not against therapists. I'm not against anybody. But I'm telling you the stuff that people pay $150 a half hour for. You can get in church for free. Because in his presence, Psalm 1611, in his presence is fullness of and at his right hand pleasure forevermore. Amen. So there's Paul's thorn in the flesh. So we got that one out of the way. What about Job? Yeah, what about Job? I've preached on that before, but you got new people coming in all the time. What about Job? I want you to understand a word that is fundamental if you're going to advance in your faith. God is a God of covenant. When Adam fell, when Adam and Eve sinned and got kicked out of the garden, Adam used to commune with man every day, and man lost his communication with God. Then God made a covenant through Abraham's descendant, Levi, that blood could be shed by animals, but it had to be shed every year. You had to kill animals to atone for your own sins. And that would give you temporary access to be forgiven, for without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. But let me ask you a question. Could Job or Levi or the people of that era, could they pray, Father, in the name of Jesus? No, there was no Jesus yet. So the prayers you see in the Old Testament, in fact, you couldn't pray. If I was a priest, you would have to come and tell me, and then once a year, I would go, but like if a curtain that was probably about this thick, and I'd go by it into the Holy of Holies once a year with blood on behalf of the people. And they'd tie a rope around my ankle with bells in case I was unclean myself and was struck dead in the presence of God so they could pull me out so there wasn't an endless chain of deaths. True or false? I'm not making this stuff up. That's how it went. You couldn't say father. He wasn't your father. He was God. You had a, t- a, 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 a low-level relationship with him to bide time until who came? That's why the Old Testament, they're looking forward, they're prophesying, they're waiting for a Messiah to come to fulfill what God told the serpent in the garden. You have bruised his heel, but I will send another who will crush your head. And that somebody's not Buddha. It's not Muhammad. They didn't all do it together. There's only, yeah, people taught things, people started religions, but there was only one that came from heaven to break the devil's power over man. What about Job? Number one, Job couldn't pray. Job couldn't take authority over the devil. Number two, how did the devil gain access to Job's life? Hey, God, if you let me touch what Job has, I can get him to curse you to your face. That didn't work. All right. Let me touch him personally and put sickness on him. So even in the story of Job, who put sickness on Job? God or the devil? Then uh, Job 2.7. Then Satan went forth from the presence of God and smote Job with boils. And if you let me do it, I can get him to curse you to his face. Job had to justify his relationship to God by his own works. He was justified by his works. Is the New Testament believer justified by works? What are we justified by? Faith in who? Who is our justification? You're not wrong. It's not a trick question. Who's our justification? Say it louder. 
So the way Satan gained access to Job, could he ever do it to the New Testament believer? No, because we don't have to prove our justification. Christ, we are, he was justified by works. We are, you, you're justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The way Satan gained access to Job could never come into your life in Jesus' name. I'm not justified by my works. I'm justified by what Jesus did for me and by putting my faith in that. Secondly, I have, did Job have authority over demon spirits? Did Job, why didn't Job just take authority over the devil? He didn't have any. Did you know there wasn't one demon cast out of anybody in the entire Old Testament? Because man didn't have authority over devils. Devils had authority over men. But when Jesus came, what did he start doing? Who is this man that even evil spirits obey him? Elijah raised somebody from the dead. Elisha raised somebody from the dead. There were all kinds of miracles, but you don't see any dealings with Satan because Satan was still holding the keys of dominion over mankind. But when Jesus came, he carried no stain of sin, for he was born of a virgin. His blood came from his Father in heaven. And when he came, he not only healed the sick like the prophets did, he cast out devils. Because he wasn't a prophet, he wasn't a teacher, he is the Son of the living God who came to redeem me and redeem you. Then he died. Nobody killed him. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. Who killed Jesus, the Romans or the Jews? No one kills me. I lay down my life as a ransom for many. He came to die. Amen. Amen. And when he died on the cross, he died in my place. Think of how brutal a thing sin is. That even when God's own son was put on the cross, when our sin was transferred to him, God crushed him on the cross. Any belief system that makes you at home with sin, and we all, I mean, we all sin, you better stop. Sin is a spiritual cancer that kills. The wages of sin is not unhappiness. The wages of sin is death. Death. And, and these days, quick death. In the 70s, you could be a drug addict for 35 years. Those days are, are, have slipped by. People dying left and right. Drugs that aren't even meant to addict or have fun. They're just like, like powder death. Fentanyl. As Satan knows his time's short. The Bible says he's declared war on the sons of men. I'm trying to stay focused on one sermon, but that's why he hates people. He lost his place in heaven. He, wanted to, he said, I will ascend and be like the Most High God. And God said, no, you won't. Then he made man in his image and in his likeness. And he gave man in the church Satan's old job. He was in charge of praise and worship and adoration unto God. And now we have replaced him as the agents of praise and worship unto God. So he doesn't like you. He looks to destroy you. But when you're covered by the blood of Jesus and you have the shield of faith, it still, in 2023, quenches every fiery dart of the devil. When Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, and gave up the ghost, what was the first supernatural thing that happened when he said it and breathed his last? What was it? What was the first thing that happened? The veil? What veil? The veil in the temple was what? 
top to bottom. That man who had been shut out of the presence of God, that's why we run our church differently. You know, I could get more engagement on YouTube and have a bigger crowd Tuesday through Friday if I said, we're having prayer for an hour and the prayer service consisted of you coming to have me pray for you. For some reason, people like the old relationship. Can you say a prayer for me? Why don't you say one for yourself? Nobody will pray as, as, as good for you as you will. Nobody's going to pray for your son like you're going to pray for your son. So if I, wanted, if I was looking to get engaged, send in your request. We'll pray for you. That drives engagement up, drives comments up, drives the algorithm up. But I'm not looking to have high algorithm. I'm looking to teach people the word. So instead of you saying, Pastor, pray for me, you say, Pastor, thank you for teaching me how to pray. This week I was praying, and the Lord did this and this and this. Many of the miracles I'm going to share on Sunday were, had nothing to do with me. They were, and I, I, Obviously, it's all God, but they didn't even have to do with me praying or asking. It, it, was, it was staff and people on staff believing God and, and putting their faith out for things. That's my job as a parent. Number one is to teach Camila faith, to believe God. She was at a place where they were teaching kids. And she told me today when I flew in, Dad, the teacher said sometimes God says wait, sometimes God says no, sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says wait. And I said, that's not true. And, and, and she said, but I didn't know why it wasn't true. I just heard you say that. So I talked to her this afternoon, and I thought, well, since I told her, I might as well tell everybody. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If you think that your prayer request gets submitted to heaven, and then God is like a permit board. He stamps like seven every month. And then denies other ones. And then tells other people they have to wait. It's like city council. It's going to be another seven months. Why? Well, it just is. And that's how people think prayer works. Like you're submitting lottery balls. And then every day after the evening news, God has a spokesmodel spin them and draw what five people he's going to do a miracle for. But that's not the Bible. I said, that's not the Bible. The Bible says, I asked my daughter, I said, why isn't that true? What did Jesus teach about prayer? Ask and ye shall receive. Not asking ye might receive. Ask and ye shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door might be open to you. No. Knock and the door will Amen. If if no one else gets anything out tonight, I, I, I feel like going to heaven by myself right now. But I'm going to wait till at least Sunday because I want to make that announcement. <laughs> Knock and the door will be open unto you. For, then he keeps going. For everyone who seeks, how many people? Everyone. everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who asks receives. And to everyone that knocks, the door will be open. How many know sometimes God opens the door, then he closes it? Then, no, God's not schizophrenic. Here. If God tells you not to be double-minded, he's not double-minded. What, what did the Apostle Paul say? There is before me a wide-open door of opportunity, but there's many adversaries. So if God's opened a door for me, and now there's opposition to go through it, it's not God sending the opposition. Everybody say, thorn in the flesh. If you've been coming to this church since April, you've seen it. Nobody cared when our church was small. Then church gets big. People make it an issue to shut down. Not the adult film store, not the bar. Shut that church down. But what do we do? Well, God closed the door. No. I already knew what I'm preaching to you. So I knew as the church grew, persecution arose. 
You can't pray. You're not allowed. Now you can pray, and we're going to pray tonight, and God will answer like he did for Alan. You can pray sickness away tonight because Jesus took it on the cross. But Jesus didn't take our persecution on the cross. And say this with me. Sickness is not persecution. That's why there's two different instructions for it in James chapter 5. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any among you sick? They should call on the elders of the church and have them anoint them with oil. And their prayer offered in faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise them up. And any sins they've committed will be forgiven them. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much or makes great power available. So why are there two different instructions? Same thing with the thorn in the flesh. Three times I asked God to take it away. And he said, he didn't say no. He said, I've given you grace that's sufficient for that. So when people oppose the advancement of this church, I had one Sunday, if you were here, I had him shut all the cameras off, and I told you what our course of action was going to be. We're not shutting down. Just like we didn't shut down for Fauci, I don't care if ISIS resurrects and takes the United States over. I don't care if China comes in through Canada and destroys our military. This church will not close until the rapture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the devil doesn't have capacity to do anything about it. No, Paul, I can't wipe your enemies off the face of the earth. You feel like praying that way sometimes. Father, in Jesus' name, please kill everyone who's attacking me. <laughs> in thy name, amen. Bless all the children in Africa. In Jesus' name, amen. But you, you can't do it. In this life, you will have, Jesus said, Luke 16, John 16, 33. In this life, you will have trouble. But, but it doesn't end there. I had a guy, I sat through a service, a guy preached a whole sermon on half a verse. I mean, Jesus said, in this life we will have trouble. Buddy, you'd sound so much less depressed if you'd finish the verse. Everybody say, finish the verse. I mean, it says, in this life you will have trouble, amen. No, not amen, keep reading. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And what does that mean? In the amplified in brackets. How many feel your body getting stronger even right now? Yeah. See, because when you preach faith and how great God is, he likes it. He shows up to hear who's talking about him. And when he comes into the room, healing's in his wings. Can you say amen? Healing's in his wings. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet, you're coming out of this meeting healed by the el poder de Dios en el nombre de Jesús. Amen, Christian. Amen. Healed. Job, in, the, uh, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world in the Amplified Bible in brackets. I have stripped it of having any power to harm you whatsoever. That's what he's saying. You will have trouble, but the same way I overcame the world and my spirit lives in you. There's a lot to get to in this, you know. Born again. You don't join Christianity. You get born again. It's a spiritual rebirth. You know, we've had, this church is, what, what is it? 12, 13, 14. So this is month 15. About, yeah, just over 14 months old. So we've had people that started coming and agreed, you know, and then my wife will get a call, or I'll get a call, or Co Pastor Kofi, or Pastor... Do you know Pastor Kofi's in Ghana? 
I was watching Pastor Rodney preach in Ghana, and they, he introduced Kofi. I thought, the, the heck? It's like a shapeshifter. Whatever. He never even told me he was going. What was I saying before that? Oh, yeah. Somebody, so somebody would be coming to the church and giving and all that. Then we'd get a call like two or three months after they started giving. And basically, the calls are all the same. The Lord's been dealing with me about this. You know, that guy called me. You know, he, it wasn't day one. I dumped all my alcohol out. Posted it on Facebook. I just poured it all out. I want to pray again. I want prayer. The Lord's been dealing with me about this. I don't feel right about this relationship. And it's like some people get born again right away. Everybody should. But then some people, they start going to church, then they realize. It's like the Holy Ghost starts working on them. How many of you saw when we did that soul winning crusade in Sturgis, South Dakota? We had whole biker motorcycle clubs come forward to receive Christ. They had the foulest patches on their back. And I'm not, I'm not saying that as like a judgmental um, preacher. I'm saying that like, even sinners would be like, yo, that's quite the patch you have on your back. In fact, we sent in the, the one clip, the, the, the meeting of them getting saved, and I guess we, for, we just didn't notice the one patch that was on the back, and Daystar contacted us like, we can't play that. <laughs> Cinemax couldn't play that. <laughs> well, one of the guys that was on the trip said, should we tell them now that they're saved to take those patches off their, ja- off their uh, vest? We said, no. Just let the Holy Ghost, watch what happens. So I think um, if Chuck was here, I'd ask him. I think it was two weeks. The, the biker himself, chapter president, posts a picture of the back of his vest, and it's all clean rectangles where the other part's dusty, and then where those patches was, there was no dust. He cut them off. He said, I woke up this morning, didn't feel right about having those patches on my jacket, and I cut them all off. Then he started posting a scripture of the day every day on Facebook on behalf of the... Uh, Diablos or whatever. <laughs> Diablos scripture of the day. For your encouragement. So what happens? People start dancing around the riverbank, and then they realize, I need to let Christ get a hold of my heart and change me from the inside out. And I'm telling you, whether it's cancer, in fact, on the subject of healing, why did Jesus heal? Number one, he loved people. But number two, T.L. Osborne called it the Siamese twins of the gospel. Psalm 103, 1-5. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, I tell myself. And forget not all of his benefits. Who forgives all my sins. And how many of my diseases? Forgiveness of sin and healing of disease goes hand in hand. So... There's a man with a deformed hand. Picture it. Withered, the Bible says a withered hand. So his hand's small. It's withered up, birth defect or whatever. Jesus is in a room, and everybody's waiting to see what Jesus will do. And Jesus looks at the man with the withered hand and says what? Your sins, son, your sins are forgiven. And all the Pharisees. Who does this man think he is to go around forgiving people's sins? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, what's it easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or stretch forth your hand 
So I, the Son of Man, will do this to show that I also have power to forgive sins. Because both things have the same root. There were no children cancer centers in the Garden of Eden. There won't be any in the New Jerusalem. Sickness and disease are the foul offspring of their father Satan and their mother sin. And when Jesus came, he didn't come to partially redeem you and just take care of your sin and, well, one day you'll get a new body in heaven. I, you know, people that know better. You know, my son passed away at eight. God called him home. Let him call him home. God is not the author of death. If God had his way, people wouldn't die after they've lived a long life. People wouldn't have died at all. Death is the last enemy to be destroyed. So, yeah, your son might be in heaven, but it wasn't God that did it. There's not one automobile accident that's going to take place across the United States tonight that God had a hand. Well, their time has come. No. God's not looking to kill people. He's looking to make people alive from the inside out. Whatever the devil has brought into your life to destroy you, to kill, that comes to a stop. That plague is stayed now in Jesus' mighty name. If you receive it, take 15 seconds and celebrate it. Clap your hands. Hallelujah. The devil is defeated. All right. One more scripture and I'll leave you alone. Turn to Hebrews 1.3. I want you to say lyrics to an old song with me. It's the whole song. Only believe. Christianity is too simple for people. They want to they complicate it up. Make you have to have like wooden beads from the olive trees in northern Israel to carry around a cross carved from the same wood near where Jesus was crucified. People always want something physical, an idol, something like that. Bible says when Jesus was blessing the disciples in Acts chapter 1, suddenly he began to, to ascend up into the sky and the disciples were straining their eyes to see him. I can picture it after reading them for four books. I can still see the one sandal by that cloud. And then an angel had to come down. For one day, just as you saw him go, he will return. Now get moving. Go to the upper room like he told you, genius. Hey, Peter, over here, focus. (laughs) (laughs) And I know people. If that angel hadn't come, they'd have two footprints drawn at some place in Israel, and there'd be a line a mile and a half long, and some guy with a sand timer, you pay your 50 bucks, and then you get 15 seconds. (laughs) This is the last place he's done. I can feel his presence. You know, we're here at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. 
I have my hand on it right now. If you call in, we'll pray while touching the wall. I'm waiting for a correlation. It's a wonder I have any open doors to preach anywhere at anyone's church. And you can get people worked up like that. Do you know why I never went to the Asbury Revival? Though I'm a, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm a 12 in how happy I am that students are worshiping God and a hunger came like that. But I don't have to go to Kentucky to have an encounter with the Holy Ghost. I had an encounter with the Holy Ghost at eight years old. I'm not looking for him. He lives on the inside of me. And he lives on the inside of you. And you can stir him up whenever you want. Say it out loud. I'm not looking for him. I have him. Say what Peter said. Say, such as I have, I give to thee. Always looking, they want to grab something, have something in their pocket. Carving of a saint. You know, Protestants pick on Catholics, but Protestants are worse. Yeah, they don't have any graven statues of saints, but they're selling everything that's not nailed down. This was Smith Wigglesworth's nightgown. Great. This was the chair John G. Lake had his last supper on. Do you know there's people that will actually go to the cemeteries? In, in, in fact, I read an article in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Catherine Kuhlman, great woman of God. People would go to her church, that Presbyterian church that she based out of, and kneel and hold the pulpit that she, that she preached out of. They don't understand that the Spirit of God is not out here. He's looking to fill Know ye not, it was never the will of God to dwell in temples made of human hands. Know ye not, you, you, I'm not looking for him, I have him. He lives in my heart, and he lives in your heart by redemption. But I don't feel him. If you go by how you feel, you're going to live life based on your blood sugar level. Blood sugar is low. I just feel like I'm under attack. Have some ice cream. I feel like God's really going to use me. No, you're, it's your body chemistry. That's why the Bible says we don't go by. We don't walk by sight. We walk by. If I don't feel blessed. I'm blessed anyway because the Bible says I'm blessed. If I don't feel healed, I don't care. The Bible says by his stripes I was healed, and if I was healed, I am healed. I am who the Bible says I am. I can do what the Bible says I can do. I am who Jesus made me by redemption. Go ahead, take 30 seconds and let it rip. Hey! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've got Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Hebrews 1.3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. 
Let me read it in the New Living Translation. Anybody have New Living? Open. You guys are great. How many enjoyed the music from our friends in New Mexico? Listen to the New Living Translation. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. That's S-O-N, capital S. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. In the first version of the New Living Translation, it says this. Jesus Christ represents the will of God exactly. What did you see Jesus say in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? I don't say what I want to say, and I don't do what I want to do. I only say what I hear, and I only do what I see the Father do. So when you see Jesus, you're seeing God's will personified. If you don't see Jesus do it, you can't say it's God's will. If you see Jesus do it, you can't say it isn't God's will because Jesus is the exact representation of the will of God in human flesh. So some questions that deserve an answer. For people that make you feel like you're a fringe believer because you believe in divine healing, some questions. Knowing that, was Jesus ever sick? My father, I was with him. He was at a, a Baptist convention. A, it, was, it was actually a, a convention for evangelists, but basically the only denomination that makes room for evangelists are Baptists, thanks to Billy Graham. So my dad was the only full gospel person there, and I was 22 sitting with him. So they were talking about the gifts of the Spirit and healing. You know what's interesting? How people, even if they're taught their whole life that there's no healing and there's no gifts of the Spirit, there's something in people <laughs> the bikers at Sturgis. Do you know why I prayed for them? I wasn't going there to pray for them. I was going there to tell them about Jesus, give an altar call to get saved, and that's it. And I finished praying. Excuse me. Um, can you pray for me real quick? My daughter has leukemia. Could you say a prayer? What made them feel, like just hearing about heaven and hell in the Bible, that I could do something to pray, and they've been saved eight minutes? There's something... Say, this is a scripture I'm going to have you repeat. Say, deep calleth unto deep. Deep calleth unto deep. You are not a head. You are not a body. You are a spirit. And there's something in you. You take somebody that hasn't been to church in 30 years and an 18-wheeler crosses a double yellow line. They don't go, I'm a collection of cells anyway. (laughs) Buddha! No. Jesus! And it doesn't come from here. Something shouts out of here. I'm going to tell you. Why do, why do so many people find God in prison? Because for the first time, the computer's off. The TV's off. The, there's no alcohol. There's no weed. All their friends are gone. And they're quiet enough for the first time with their own spirit. I need help. Oh, man. I won't tell Christian's testimony, but it's one of the most powerful testimonies I've ever heard. Got a Bible in prison and read it twice, right? And that's him sitting there in the night. He got saved at, at 12 years old in another country with the Bible, reading it, finding out who he is. Got quiet and read that Bible. And there he is with a wife and beautiful family. 
because the word transformed him from the inside out. That's the devil's plan. Get everything so noisy, TV, music, all the time. But if you ever get alone, there's something on the inside of you that education can't fill. I'm not anti, we're not promoting stupidity. We believe in education. But education can't take the place of God. People are trying to take God's, fill that with sexual encounters or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. That's why their relationships don't work out. No matter how good a man you find or a woman you find, they can't take God's place. That's why my marriage works great. I'm not trying. A doll doesn't have to fill God's void in me. My husband just doesn't give me any purpose. He can't. He's just a dude. <laughs> You're mixing roles. Can you say amen? I'm not getting my validation as a human being from my wife. I get it from the word. Can you say amen? amen? And so that's how people get turned on to God. Because there's something on the inside of you that cries out for that. Was Jesus ever sick? You don't have any record. So my dad's there with them. They start bringing up the gifts of the Spirit and talking about it. So when they get all done, my dad brings, they say, well, Tiff, you're a Pentecostal. My dad said that. Was Jesus ever sick? They said, no. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, there's no record of Christ ever being sick. But John said if all the things were written about what Christ did, the world couldn't contain the volumes. So we, maybe he was and they didn't write it down. Well, they're Baptists. They're expert Bible interpreters. So my dad said, well, you know as well as I do. You don't build doctrine on what the Bible doesn't say. You build it on what the Bible does say. See, that's how, they're trying to, that's how they're trying to legalize sin and get the church to give it its stamp of approval. Well, the Bible doesn't say much about uh, X, Y, and Z. It doesn't, it's, you don't build it on what it doesn't say. You know, the Bible doesn't say much about child molestation. But it does say something about it. And you don't build it. Well, it was never mentioned after Paul. Yes, but it was mentioned earlier. And you don't build doctrines on what's not said. You build it on what's said. True or false? My dad, my, and when my dad said that to the guy, the guy went, you're right. And I watched that table because, you know, my dad is like completely different than me. <laughs> We're both Christians, and that's where the similarities end. <laughs> Super diplomatic. He let them all talk, and then when they, he probably did not say anything. Then when they turned it to him, what do you have to say about that? He said, gentlemen, was, Hebrews 1.3 says Jesus represents the will of God exactly. Was Jesus ever sick? Well, no, though it doesn't say he was, the Bible says if the volumes of what he did were, writ were written, the world couldn't contain it. Yes, but do we build doctrine? Not talking even like I am now, talking real slow, Virginia. Yes, but do we build doctrine on what the Bible doesn't say, or do we build it on what it does say? We build it on what it, it, it says. So then my dad goes to number two. So there's the question. Was Jesus ever sick? No. Question number two. Were Jesus's disciples ever sick do you have record that peter couldn't go on the trip to capernaum because he had a sinus infection or his eye he he, he was suffering his leg hurt do you have any verses that the the disciples were unable to walk with jesus because their feet they had plantar fasciitis I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of real things you know if your feet hurt you can't walk in the middle eastern sun were jesus's disciples ever sick no you don't have record of it in the Bible. Number three, this is where I hope it hits home before we pray. Brother Tony, you can come, come back to your instrument. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to pray. 
Did Jesus ever make anybody sick? Your answer was weak. Did Jesus ever make anybody sick? So if Jesus is the will of God expressed in human form, and you never see Jesus make anybody sick, how can you develop a doctrine that sometimes God makes people sick? If that's true, then you need at least one instance of Jesus laying his hands on a healthy person and making them infirmed. But in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you won't find it one time. But I'll tell you what you do find. Not him putting hands on people to put disease in them. But that evening, Matthew 8, 16, and 17. That evening, they brought unto him all the sick. And no matter what their sickness or what their disease or if they were possessed by evil spirits, he healed them all. Everyone. He didn't do duck, duck, goose. Healed, healed, not you, not now. When I come back in a year and a half, healed, healed. No. They brought unto him all the sick. And no matter what their sickness or what their disease, he healed them all. God doesn't put sickness on people. God made a high payment to take sickness off people. And that's the purpose of this service tonight. I tell you as a minister of the gospel, you've suffered long enough. Tonight you're one prayer away from God reaching down from heaven, pulling that thing out, and making you right in Jesus' name. If you believe it, give the Lord another great hand clap. Somebody shout a loud hallelujah. Did Jesus ever refuse to heal anybody? You got close one time. Turn to Matthew 15. How many of you got something out of tonight? And I'm going to hit healing hard this year because I know the plan of the devil. Did you know in Denmark right now, you as a pastor are not allowed to lay hands on people that are sick. They, they're invoking 17th century quackery laws. So if you stop the, the move of the Spirit, if you quit with tongues, quit with healing, quit with the manifestation of the Spirit, then the, the one world church will brand this as lunacy. And the same way there's a terms of service agreement on YouTube that you're not allowed to tell people that prayer heals sickness and disease. Let me ask you right now, if they were more organized, and had less fear of political backlash, do you not think Pfizer and Moderna and all the Johnson & Johnson wouldn't band together right now and say, tell every preacher that it's illegal, cite some case of some wacko church where someone was prayed for and didn't get medical care and died, and say, see, you are no longer allowed, this is not the 1800s, you're no longer allowed to tell people that, that prayer heals sickness. No, that's what they want, because there's no money to be made off of you being well. But guess what? God isn't looking to make money off your sickness. God spent the blood of his son Jesus Christ that that every man and every woman in Pittsburgh can be made well tonight in Jesus' name. I'm telling you what they're already doing in Europe. You know, I travel and preach. You can't, pray, you can't tell people that God will heal them. So I'm getting ahead of it. It's easy to stop something that's not happening. I had a pastor in another country. He said, I see you doing open-air crusades in Philadelphia, New Jersey, and Pittsburgh. He said, they just passed along in his country, in Europe. And it's not Eastern Europe. It's like, it's the kind of Europe that, that a couple hundred years ago sent the gospel all over the world. That part of Europe. They just passed a law here 
that you're not allowed to preach the Bible outdoors. It has to be in a church. You can't do it outside. So you know what I said to him? When was the last time your church ever did that? Oh, the last crusade in this country was probably in the 70s or 80s. See? So if you, if you back out of it, the devil can move into that vacuum easy. That's why we're going to get ahead of it. We're going to have healing and miracle and Holy Ghost and fire services. Some of, you, some of you older people, I see you smiling because this isn't new to Pittsburgh. This move of God blew through this city in the 70s and 80s, and it's high time that it happens again. Instead of a wave of homicides, there should be a wave of revival and healing from heaven. You can think I'm a fanatic, and you're, you're right. But it's only going to go one of two ways. You're either going to have the devil move into a city or you're going to have the church move into a city. And I've already moved in and I'm not moving out. If you're with me, let the devil hear your hand clap. But he's not having Pittsburgh. He's not having the Ohio Valley. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all the inhabitants that dwell therein. Somebody shout hallelujah. both hands. I curse this string of homicides and destruction that's come into this part of the country. From the train, from the time that train derailed and there's been shootings, you foul devil that's been assigned to destroy this place. You're too late. Our two feet are already here. And the word says, wherever your foot shall tread, You'll be on land that I've given to you. So take your hind end back to hell. This, pitch, this city is not up for grabs. This city is ordained to be a city of the move of God. Where the sick are healed. Where people are delivered. Where the oppressed are set free. In Jesus' name. If you believe it, let your amen be the loudest. Matthew 15. Twenty-two. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him. You'll never find anywhere in the Bible where somebody came and worshipped God and left empty-handed. It's the cheapest way to get into the presence of God and get what you desire. Just lift your hands and begin to worship. Tell them how much you love them. No, I'm not helping you. I worship you, Jesus. When he did that, change the tune. Jesus responded, It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great, your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. How come Jesus gave that lady a hard time? It tells you right in the story. I've heard all these explanations where people are like making up. It says, when Jesus came to earth, he was not sent to redeem he wasn't sent to be the Messiah to the Irish people or the Polish people or the Hungarian people or the Jamaican people. 
He was sent to redeem one group of people. Who? And until he was rejected, he was to do no ministry to Gentiles. All his ministry, he wasn't doing a tour of Washington, D.C. and Detroit and Toronto. He came to God's, I have come to God's lost sheep, the nation of Israel. And so this lady, the Bible says, was a Gentile. That's a non-Jew, a Syrophoenician one. He's not sent to them. Not at this point. Until the stone that the builders rejected became the, until he was rejected by Israel, then that opened up the church age. Thank God, people like me get to come in. But then, then it's going to flip and you can already see it starting now. It's going it's to it start in Israel, it's going to finish in Israel. The whole Russia-Ukraine thing is not about Ukraine. It's about Russia getting access to Crimea so they can fulfill Bible prophecy and come down from the north, which they can't do in, without a black seaport, a black sea seaport. I could play a clip. They might have it queued up in the media room because I've played it before. Of Lester Summerall, 1992, just on Bible prophecy. 92. He said, I don't know when it's going to happen, but according to Bible prophecy, at some point, Russia's going to have to make a move against Ukraine and Crimea to get access to that water. So if you study Bible prophecy, you don't have to watch CNN. You could just wait for everything. Don't get your eyes on Moscow. Don't get your eyes on Kiev. Don't get your eyes on Washington, D.C. Keep your eyes on Jerusalem. Because that's where the action's at. Amen? Amen. Let, me, let me ask you this as a side, side note. Why is Russia going to come down with China, the kings of the east, the Bible says, the bear from the north to make war against Israel? Who did Russia just make an alliance with last week? That's right. So when you see that happen, and by the way, that's not anti-Russian people, anti-Chinese people. That, that's telling you what's going to happen. So when it happens, they come down from the north and attack Israel in a battle called what? Does Armageddon take place at the beginning, middle, or end of the tribulation? So if you see the event setting up for the end of the tribulation, and the rapture precedes it by a minimum of seven years, if you see signs for Christmas sales at the mall, how much closer is Thanksgiving? When you see these things begin to happen, look up for your redemption draws nigh. God given us a $5.7 million building. Do you think it's because I'm super anointed and a super awesome pastor? Or do you think maybe time's so short that God said, I don't have time for you to have a 25-year building program. Here, get to work. When you see the Riverhound Stadium packed with 3,085 unchurched, unsaved people, and just under 2,000 people get saved, and the church double in size in one Sunday, you think that's because I'm like a super awesome pastor? Or do you think this is the last breath of the Holy Ghost going out? When you see a college campus in Asbury, seek God for two straight weeks, 20-year-olds. Then it moved down. Now there's a bunch of colleges in Texas and Tennessee. Do you think it's because? No, it's the sign that we're coming to the end of time. And I don't know about you. I'm not limping out of here. I'm coming out of here filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. All right, let me wrap up. Enough with all the, the shouting and stuff. So why, why did Jesus say it's not Jesus wouldn't even answer. I'm not sent to you. No, sorry. And then she keeps pressing. So to shut her up, 
Is it right to take the bread that belongs to the children and throw it to dogs? Gentiles were dogs. You didn't have them in your house if you're Jewish. What did she do? He called me a dog. See, that's why I don't go there. <laughs> she was so desperate to get her, her daughter healed. I mean, you know, you're right. It isn't. But even the crumbs that fall from the table, the dogs get. So how about a crumb? She said, I've not met too many people like you. In fact, Jesus made a statement in the Gospels because as his ministry grew, he started to have more Gentiles press in for his miracles. He said, my time, I need to get out of here. Because now the Gentiles are pressing in. And then he made the prophecy that we're fulfilling. That many for whom the kingdom was originally prepared won't be there. But those that it wasn't prepared for that are outside the gate will come and sit with Abraham. And that's, that's Polish people. That's Irish people. That's, that, that's uh, West African people, Central African people, Caribbean people. Because it was never meant to include us. You're Irish. You were over worshiping giant stones. Till Patrick went up and by a demonstration of God's power drove the snakes out and led the island to Christ. So in South Korea, you're in Eastern religion. And then one guy gets a hold of Brother Hagen's videos, David Young Cho, and in a place with a less than 0.1% Christian population, builds a church with 2 million members. Where when they said everybody pray, they had to keep a bell like the Liberty Bell on the stage to ring because the prayers were so loud that the guy couldn't get the service back with the mics. And that would be the sign to stop praying. 50,000 people praying. Can you say amen? So South Korea got in on the action. Russia got in on the action. Eastern Europe got in on the action. I would like, don't get nervous because I'm not actually going to do it. I just always like to hear, and I would be cool with it, but I'm not going to do it because it would take forever and people would not be cool with it. But I'd be fine with passing the microphone around and just hearing how everybody became a Christian because they're insane stories. You know, my grandfather was the first Christian in our family. He preached for 62 years. He was in Fer uh, Farmington, West Virginia by Ida May, little coal mining town. No one's a Christian. No one goes to church ever. And he's driving around to pick up girls because it's the weekend. And he sees a girl go under a tent that's pretty. She's pretty, not the tent. <laughs> so he, does, he thinks there must be a circus in town or they're selling mattresses or whatever. And so he, he comes under the tent to pick her up and walks headlong into a meeting like this. So he sits in the back, ticked off. Oh, great. But so intent on getting that girl that he waits for the service to pick her up after. So the evangelist, Don Knotts from the Andy Griffith Show's sister, was a Pentecostal tent evangelist out of West Virginia. And she, or her assistant was preaching that night. He sees my grandfather in the back. And back then the evangelists were more aggressive. There are no video cameras or anything. So he comes over to my grandfather. And my grandfather had heard stories about how they like put their hand on you or whatever. And he said to me, if he puts his hand on me, I'm going to knock him out. I didn't come here for any of this crap. I, I, I came here to get that girl. This, I don't believe in any of this. So he said, sure enough, he comes over to put his hand on and says, sir, would you like to come to the altar? And I said, why didn't you hit him? I got the story from him one more time right before he, he passed. He said, I went to, I already had my fist balled up. He said, but when he put his hand on me, I felt something like warm wash over me. And the next thing I knew, I was at the altar. Goes to, takes a bus to Zion Bible Institute. 
Hallelujah. In Barrington, Rhode Island, or, or East Providence back then, finishes school, meets my grandmother from Maine. They go back to West Virginia. She plays the accordion on the street. They don't have a pastorate or anything. She plays an accordion to gather a crowd, which nowadays is a great way to scatter a crowd. <laughs> in her dress and his suit, little crowd would come in for him, and then he's there in his suit, crack the Bible open, start preaching, praying for people. Takes his first pastorate in Northern Virginia. My cousin in the second row is the youngest brother's son. Nobody was saved in the whole family. Now the whole family's preachers, and they were rough. My grandfather would have split hell wide open. He would not have lived long if he didn't get saved. His temper, he almost got thrown out of Bible college on registration day. Because he, come, he comes up from West Virginia, coming from a coal mining town. You know, all the, all the people in Bible college think everybody's a Christian. So he puts his stuff on his bunk. And a senior knocks all his stuff off and goes, I'm a senior. This is my bunk. My grandfather grabbed him by the back of the pants and the back of the dress shirt and threw him out the dormitory window, which was on floor two. That's attempted homicide. That's him. He was going to punch that preacher. I'm not making stories. He was rough. He was rough saved. You know what he used to say preaching? Picture this. In the early 70s, this wouldn't go over now. The crowd would be like not responding to his preaching. He'd go, please observe the mistletoe on my coattails as I exit the building. That's a poetic way of telling people. In the 70s, in church. A lady, when he was pastoring in Northern Virginia, I think the statute of limitations up on all this stuff. This lady did not like something my grandfather said when he was preaching. She goes back and tells her two sons that are in their 20s, and they come to confront my grandfather at the 6 p.m. Sunday night service. You remember those old A-frame churches where it was just, you walk in, there's a lobby, then there's a sanctuary. So it's 5.58. He's up on the platform in his suit, and he sees these two hillbillies from northern Virginia walk in to confront him. He, he puts the mic in his pocket, comes down the center aisle. They get like deer in the headlights, walks out to the lobby, and however he looked, they went to run out the door. The one made it out the door, the other one, he caught him. Now everyone can see, because the sanctuary, and I know some people are getting tense, I'm not promoting this as the right way of pastoring, I'm just telling you. So everyone can see out into the lobby. Church is about to start, and back in those days in America, everybody was on time. He catches the one guy, slams him into the coat rack off his feet. My grandfather's about 6'2", 260. And goes, you tell that hillbilly brother of yours that if either of you ever come back here to confront me in front of my church again, you'll limp home. Do you understand me? The guy shook his head, yes. He slammed him into the coat rack again and went, say yes, sir. The guy went, yes, sir. Then threw him, not walked him out the door, threw him out the door. The horrified congregation is looking. He turns around, walks back in the sanctuary, turns the mic on like nothing happened. Let's stand and sing, everyone, as we begin the Sunday night service. And one day when he was praying, and you know, her dad and her dad, rough guy. He's from West Virginia too. How old was he when he got saved? Uh, 30. 32. Car, car dealer, high up car dealer, go to the sales show, drinking, no God in his life, gets born again, 
gets a hold of Word of Faith stuff, starts a church in Hobbs, New Mexico, little town in eastern New Mexico. They have 800 people in a town of 50,000 show up every Sunday. If you think, because, you know why I'm telling you this? Because some of you think you can't get into this. You know, I, 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 that's great for you. You're a, let me tell you something. It only takes one person in a family to say enough is enough. I'm not going to live like the world lives. I'm not going to bow to the world. I'm going to live my life for Jesus Christ. I'm not living like they tell me to live on TV. I'm not going to be a pharmaceutical company asset. I'm going to set captives free. I'm not going to struggle with depression. I'm going to loose people from the bonds of depression. Come on, do I have anybody in here like that? That's what revival is. That's revival. And maybe... Because my grandfather knew about the world. Because he was in the world. He prayed when they had the first son, Ted. He, my grandfather said, Father, I'll do anything you ask me to do if you promise me that none of my sons will ever go into the world. That was his desire. And they didn't. They're all on wife number one. And now we're all in the ministry. And he had a hard road and I've had an easy road. My only regret in life, I only have one. He loved planes. He was going to go into the Air Force. And I wish I'd have hit my breakthrough in the ministry early enough to cart him around on. He loved planes. He loved pilots. And he had a pilot license for propeller planes. He'd have loved going on those planes with me. He I, I'll tell you right now, he wouldn't have come to the meetings and watched me preach. He'd have hung out with the pilots till the meetings were over. <laughs> and then flown back with me. And I'd have loved to have carted him around. But maybe we'll do it in the millennium. Because he paved a path for me. I went to go see his wife. She just turned 91, my grandma. Down in West Virginia, serving the Lord. Had cancer in her stomach. Went for treatment. Didn't like how it made her feel, so she called the doctor in her nice Pentecostal. I'm not going to be coming back anymore, but thanks for all you've done. <laughs> and hung up. And then a, two years later, I don't know. You know, she never went back to get tested. Her hair, she was bald. It's back in brown. It was gray before she had the cancer. We told her, hey, have you been dyeing your hair? You looks nice. No, I haven't been dyeing it. That's why it's gray. I said, it's brown. No. I said, look. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Right? Isn't Jesus wonderful? No wonder that lady didn't care how he talked to her. He said, no, no, no. I know about you. You don't have to give me the whole loaf of bread. I just need a crumb. Now think of this. If, God, if Christ was not going to heal that lady's daughter because he, he wasn't supposed to, but when she pressed in in faith, he said, daughter, your faith is great. Go your way. And the daughter was healed that hour. And she wasn't even in covenant with God. So you tell me, and now she, a crumb was enough to heal the daughter. And we don't have a crumb. The healing is the children's bread. We, by redemption, now we are children of God. We, and the crumb can heal, but you don't have the crumb. You have access to the whole loaf tonight. So be well. Be healed. Be healed. Be healed of all manner of sickness and disease. Stand on your feet, everybody. Go ahead, back up. I want to I hear that song again. Every hand lifted, and then I'm going to pray for you. I'll leave you alone. 
Jesus is in this room. He said, wherever two or three are gathered, I am there. He loves you. And when Jesus shows up, he shows up to heal. He shows up to bless. That's why I like the words of this song. If you sing them, it'll get you confessing some good stuff out of the Bible. I believe his word is still the same. Well, he did do that, but it's different now. No, I believe his word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand for how long? How long? When he said, I'm the Lord, your healer, that'll never change. He doesn't change. He is a healer in the Old Testament, healer in the Gospels, healer in the book of Acts. I don't believe he does that anymore. You're free to believe whatever you want. You can believe that Sheets gas stations don't exist. They don't make any difference to reality. I'm dealing with the Word of God. I said I'm dealing with the Word of God. And the Word of God tells you the same Jesus that will forgive all your sin, and he will forgive all your sin. No matter how dark the stain of your sin, his blood will wash you whiter than snow. And the same blood that, he, that forgives every sin Heals how many manners of sickness and disease? Oh. And I'll tell you, I had to come to a crossroads in 2020 because I had other preachers call me, you know, that believe in healing. You know, if you travel and preach and you preach healing and you get COVID and die, you're going to make us all look bad. There's no one I'll make look worse than God because I'm standing on his word. And he said, no plague will come near your dwelling. The sickness and disease you saw come on the Egyptians, they'll never come on you. For I am the Lord your God who healeth thee. That's what he said. So if he's a liar, I'll be happy to die. You can put on my tombstone, here lies Jonathan Shuttlesworth, died trusting Jesus. Turned out I didn't need the tombstone. Turned out, I mean, look how the devil works with fear. If everybody had all the information they had now, back then, They wouldn't have shut down school for one day. They wouldn't have passed out one mask. It was all fear and control and manipulation. But God's word never changes. If you said stuff like I was saying in 2020, they branded me a lunatic. But now everybody's saying it. Because God's word's true. Amen. Mind if I pray for you in the flower top? Come right around. That's a great song. Man, I feel the anointing. How many of you feel the presence of God in here? Hallelujah. Nice to meet you. Just lift your hands right there. You don't have to come any closer. You walked far enough. Lift your hands even higher. As you do, the power of God comes right upon you. Heals your body from the inside out. Lifts every heavy burden. Destroys every yoke. That's it. Go right through you. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Why do people fall over like that? Why do people fall over at the bar when they've drunk too much? Because they became intoxicated with a spirit that's stronger than what their body can stand. Do you think Jose Cuervo has more power than the Holy Ghost? Yeah. When you get filled with a power that's greater than your body, your body. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where anyone ever fell over when they were prayed for. Well, sorry that you bought a Bible missing pages because it was 30% off. They all came to arrest Jesus. Jesus knowing all things that were going to happen. John chapter 18 said, Whom seek ye? Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And they all fell to the ground backwards. 
Yeah, but they were right in the presence of Jesus. Jesus said, where two or three come and gather in my name, I am there. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Suddenly there appeared before me one whose eyes were like flames of fire, whose feet were like bronze refined in the furnace. A two-edged sword proceeded from his mouth. His hair was white like wool. And when he stood before me, I fell as one dead at his feet. But he picked me up and stood me back up on my feet. When you come in contact with the power of God, I'm not, I'm, the goal is not to get you to fall down. But I, I'm just going to come against this whole thing before it starts that this is some kind of... I, I already took a show of hands two Sundays ago. That's a cult. How is this a cult? Which way are we telling you to go to heaven but through the shed blood of Jesus? Amazing how they'll call this a cult because you believe in healing, but you're free to put a rainbow flag up, up on your church and that, that's fine. No, I'm, I'm with the Bible, my friend. Taking myself completely out of the equation. I'm, some, some weeks I'm only here on Sunday. I'm not trying to build a commune to get you to move in with me. Real churches are to be soul-winning churches, aggressive soul-winning churches. Let me say one thing before we sing the song. I bought a book. It was the last one available on Amazon. It's called Your Church Has Possibilities by um, Robert Schuller. Printed in 1974. So it'll be 50 years old next, next year. As I was reading, it's amazing how he was dealing with the same things in 74 I'm dealing with now. Because nothing, the devil has no new tricks. The city was to saying that a church doesn't have to be any bigger than 500 people. It's ridiculous for you to... Remember he built the Crystal Cathedral? What does a church need to have a building like that for? What does a casino need to have a building like that for? I'm not going to let history repeat. How come this whole state had to be founded? Because William Penn was a Quaker who would quake under the power of the Holy Ghost and they threw him out of churches for it so he got his own grant of land and wrote in the Constitution that people would be able to freely practice their Christian faith. And we're going to freely practice Bible Christian faith from now until the rapture in Jesus' name. Amen? If you're here tonight and you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, will you do that with me tonight? Don't go to hell. You're not meant to go to hell. Hell was not created for people. It was created for Satan and the third of the angels that followed him out called demons. Maybe you're like my grandfather. Was when he was a teenager. Rough. Don't know much about church. And in a meeting like this, eh, you messed up too bad. Too bad you didn't hear about that 20 years ago. Well, you didn't, but you're hearing it tonight. Whatever you've done in the last 20 years, 40 years, 60 years, you can bank on what I'm telling you. There's not one sin you've committed that's greater than the power of the blood of Jesus to forgive and to set you free. The question isn't whether God can receive you. The question is, will you receive what Jesus already did for you? Go to heaven. Come to heaven with me. Park yourself in this church on the way up. We're going to have a fun. We're going to run roughshod over the devil. And it starts with a simple decision. I'm not going to hell. I'm not going to be under the bondage of sin. Alcohol's not going to be my master. Anger's not going to be my master. Sexual immorality is not going to be my master. I'm going to live holy by the power of God. All you have to do is say yes. God will give you the power to do the rest. 
If you need to do that tonight, I want you to put your hand up high and wave it at me. We're going to pray in Jesus' name. I see your hand. Who else? Put these lights in my eyes. Who else? The Lord's dealing with your heart. I'm not going to run from God anymore. I'm going headlong into the things of God. Very quickly, my friend who raised her hand, come meet me at the altar in Jesus' name. Come right now. In Jesus' name. Come, we're going to pray. Go ahead and let her out. Welcome. Welcome to the family of God. (laughs) That's fine. Lift both hands to the Lord. Now, say this from your heart, and I'm going to tell you, you're going to have what you want. From today, you're going to have an assurance. March 3rd, 2023, that's when I was born again. I've never looked back. Say this out loud. Heavenly Father, I give you my life. I turn my back on sin. I believe in my heart. You raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth. Jesus is Lord and my Savior. Right now, I receive forgiveness by the blood of Jesus. I am saved. I am forgiven. I am clean. In Jesus' name. Let me pray for you. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Now, I know we're already going into the third month of this year. Whatever else I'm missing, Lord, in Jesus' name. You're going to have the best year you've ever had. Come here, Camila. Today's my daughter's 10th birthday. Let me see your hands. I bless you. Father, set my daughter apart for your work. I I gave her to you when she was born. I give her to you again for your work and your kingdom. Endue her with rare spiritual gifts that make her a blessing to her generation. May she never know one day outside of your presence. Never one day outside of your will. Any wayward boyfriends that the devil would bring into her life in the future. Make them disappear. In Jesus' name. Amen. Happy birthday. Thank you. If you're blessed tonight, give the Lord another great big hand clap. Luke 6.38 Give you a chance to sow seed. Give, and it, this is Jesus talking, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall, I shouldn't just blow by that. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. One translation actually says, I'll cause men to give into your bosom. I'll put it on them. 
where they can't shake it. They, they feel a desire to give to you. My wife and I, I don't know when it happened, but we entered into that at some point. And then there's another two words they put together that Jesus put together. Say running over. So there's a thing where you can live in what's called the overflow. Where you're not just trying to get through the month, get to the end of the year. That there's an overflow of resources. Because instead of money flowing away from you, God says... When you give, it changes the direction and starts flowing to you. That's what happens. My wife and I sowed a $100,000 seed two marches ago. It was the first time we ever did that. And then we sowed another one. And then now it's about our standard seed. Our tithe for the month, we usually send them out every month, is usually 100000 because um, we take in over a million a month in the ministry. I used to not take in four hundred. I used to not take in one hundred eight thousand in a year. Now my tithe is my yearly income every month. So Jesus, what? I'm not saying that to brag. It's ministry money anyway. It's not my money. But uh, this building, five point seven million dollars given to us for free. I never sent any text messages. I actually just reprimanded a guy on Instagram because he's a minister and he said I didn't have any way to get in contact with you. So I'm writing on Instagram, I have a crusade coming up and we need X amount of dollars more and I wanted to know if you would help. And all I wrote back was, you've never listened to one of my teachings. He wrote, no, I've listened to you for 10 years. I said, if you've listened to me for 10 years, then you've definitely heard me say that no minister should ever contact anybody privately for money. No, I did hear you say that, but then this other ministry does it this way and that's who I'm under. Then do it that way and let me know how it works out. I don't text people for money. I give and receive. Who in this church has ever gotten a private communication from me asking if they could help with the building or the remodeling or the, the studio upstairs? Anybody? In fact, on Sunday, you're just going to find out something that happened without anyone being consulted. No meetings, no deacons punching each other in the face. <laughs> no one cursing at each other in the parking lot. Boom! Because my giving and our ministry's giving determines our receiving. So all I do is take care of our giving and then just collect the money that comes in from everywhere. Brake pad shops in New Zealand. I've never been near it. I've never been within 15 hours of New Zealand flying. So explain that one to me. Give you shall receive, it'll overflow. I was telling the story the last time I was in Texas, not this week, but the last time, how someone sent $226,000 to pay for us being on Russian television a year in advance, and I never met them. So I was telling that story at church, how someone did that, and I don't know who it is. The guy comes up to me, a guy comes up to me after, he goes, hey, you know that story you told about the guy that did that that you've never met? I'm him. Here's another 200. Thousand. Thank you. But we gave. We give it a... What did we give last year, Patrick? $2.7 million. That's not... That's out. That's not for outreaches and church projects. No, that's to other ministries. Her, her, that, that's this church. Just so you know what you're a part of. You know, their, their father... How old's your dad now? 73? 77. 77. 
Yeah, their dad's 77. So I'll just give you an example. One day I was at Pastor Rodney's convention. I know he has to fly to Hobbs, her, her dad at 77, to go to Hobbs, New Mexico from Tampa. Hobbs is a little town, and they didn't have any flights going into, commercial flights going to Hobbs. They had to land at uh, what airport? Midland. Midland, Texas, and drive an hour and a half. So it was 76 at the time, 75. I thought, you know, there's this thing in the Bible, do unto others as you'd have others do unto you. I don't like that he's 75. He can do it. He's upright and moving. You know, you would never know he's 75. He's a faith guy. He looks like he's in his early 60s. You would never know. But I thought, no, I don't want him to have to take two flights to Midland and drive an hour and a half to be in his pulpit for Sunday morning. I don't like that. So I just texted him that there's a Hawker 800 waiting for you at the Tampa airport to take you directly to your house. I mean, they can't taxi to his driveway, but you get the point. So, um... Those kind of seeds. Then it comes back. What you make happen for others, God makes happen for you. Always looking for other people. That's why I don't text. I don't text anybody looking for help. I look for people to bless. And as you bless, you don't, you you just you start you start this thing in motion where you don't need you don't have any needs. Let me ask you this: Not only have you never been contacted privately since the start of this church, and even if you. If you ever see my chrome-wrapped Cadillac Escalade out there, just remember two things. Number one, I used to play a video game called Grand Theft Auto, and you could chrome-wrap before I got saved, and then you could chrome-wrap your vehicles, and then I found out you could do it in real life, so I did it. I wasn't a pastor. No one ever knew in Pittsburgh I was in the ministry. I could do what I wanted. Then we started this church, and I got that vehicle that looks like I'm going to be in trouble with the IRS shortly. Where are these offerings going? Number two, the reason I bring it up, everything we had, we had before we started the church. When you walked into this church, it was built. And even the stuff I'm going to mention about this ministry going forward, I'm not saying this arrogantly, but just so you know, if I wanted to, I could use my own faith, hit the road, go preach, whatever, and take care of it all myself. The only reason we open up forgiving is so all the blessing doesn't come my way. But what did David say? David said, I'm emptying my own treasury to build the temple. Now, who wants to follow my example? But you will never, ever, for the rest of your life, ever hear me say, without your giving, we couldn't do what we're doing. Because this is the Lord's doing. And it's glorious to behold. And nobody's going to get the credit for it. I'm not. You're not. Nobody's going to get it. Jesus is going to get all the glory. But anybody that enters into his work gets his blessing. What you make happen for others. Do you think you can get involved in God's house and then your own house be dilapidated? When you get involved in God's work, God gets involved in your work. When you get involved in God's house, he gets involved in your house. (laughs) My grandfather was a giver. He was was the one that made me like I am because he was different. I never saw a pastor take people out to eat and let people order appetizers. I never saw a pastor take people out to eat and not have the rich guy from the church paid the bill. My grandfather always paid the bill and ordered tons of food and, and it did everything like that. And I thought when I grow up, I want to be like him. I don't, I like how he's not poor. I like, we don't know what we're going to do. Always top notch. He's not because he had a revelation from the Bible. He thought it was stupid to be poor. He thought I was poor when I served the devil. Why should I serve God and be poor? So he takes a church in Wisconsin. Kenosha, 
he asked the board if he can have a $5 a month raise because they just had their third or fourth child. And they turned it down. Voted the, the $5 a month raise down. So this guy named Mr. Block that owned a ton of businesses in Chicago. Kenosha is not far from Chicago. Walks into my grandfather's office. And I'm saying his name for a reason because people should get thanked. Hey, I heard they turned down your raise as you had the new child. Gives my grandfather a check for a lot of money and then flips keys to a Cadillac on his desk. Says, this is from my dealership. Drive it for a year and turn it in at the end of the year and I'll give you a new one. And he did that for 23 years. And then when my grandfather got invitations to preach out, that guy would pick him up in his Rolls Royce, have my grandfather sit in the back and him drive him. So my grandfather got called into a district meeting of the Assemblies of God that they wanted him to give an explanation why he's driving to churches, how he was able to get a Rolls Royce and a driver. It wasn't. It was an owner of a Rolls Royce giving him a ride. You know what I pray? I pray God will do for every one of you what he did for my grandfather. That every attempt to keep you poor, God will not only overcome it, he'll bless you so much that it embarrasses you. I pray every member of this church gets embarrassed by the blessing of God in Jesus' name. You have to explain to people, I actually didn't um, buy this myself. Amen? I'll cause men to give in to you. He was different. Got his pilot's license. Pastored in Fairmont, West Virginia. After church on Sunday morning, he'd take his plane and fly to Parkersburg, West Virginia, go have coffee with the pilots in the lounge, and fly back for Sunday night service. That's how he relaxed. Then he, he, got, he was diabetic later on. He couldn't get his pilot's license, and he couldn't convince my Pentecostal grandmother to, to pee for him. <laughs> she was like, by the book. Come on, do it. Mick, I'm not doing it. It's illegal. It's a federal crime. <laughs> Come on. And that's where I'm preaching Sunday night, Parkersburg, West Virginia. Now, you might have not had anybody lay up a legacy for you, but somebody's got to be the first one to get the ball rolling. That my children are not going to battle what I had to battle growing up. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Anybody like that here tonight? All right. You've got envelopes. Those of you watching online, I'm going to give you the opportunity to. I have a brand new book that's available for pre-order, but I'm going to send one as soon as it prints. Just came out. Are you going through a crisis? Ten keys to emerge as a champion. This is for people that are going through a very hard time, and I'm going to send the first batch of copies out to anybody that sows tonight. So just ask the Lord what he'd have you to give. If you're watching online, same for you. I'll send it to you. RevivalToday.com is the easiest way to give. If you have an envelope, you can do it by credit card. Obviously, you can give cash. This is the first I've seen it. I did it so long ago, I forgot what the 10 keys are. 
give you 30 more seconds. If you're online and you want to mail a big check, because a lot of the online things cut you off at 25000 or whatever, Revival Today, P.O. Box 7, Prosperity, Pennsylvania, 15329. I would not miss Sunday. Even if you don't like me, but you just like to gossip, I'd come on Sunday. When I say it's a big announcement, I'm, not, it's not, I'm telling you, I'm still reeling. Hallelujah. Ushers, you can come forward. Thank you for your giving. Before you start passing the buckets, lift your seat up to the Lord. If you're giving by phone, lift your phone up to the Lord. If you're at home and you're giving on a desktop computer, lift the entire desktop computer up before the Lord. Father, I thank you that your word says when they give, they will receive. We don't give to get. You said when we give, we will get. So we take it your word. We expect a miracle to come from this sowing. Thank you that every curse of poverty is broken. Thank you that you'll cause men to give liberally into people. They pick up clients. People just feel to use their company. They'll attract clients from regions that, that they're not even supposed to service. In Jesus' name, we thank you for all these things and give you praise. All God's people said amen. Tomorrow, 6 p.m., Sunday, 10 a.m., Montour Junction Sports Complex. If you're near Parkersburg, West Virginia, Ohio, in there, I'll see you there Sunday night at 7 through Friday at 7. Week of revival meetings. In Jesus' name. Go ahead and pass the offering. I want to have uh, you guys, I've picked the songs enough. I'll do dealer's choice this time. How many of you were blessed tonight? All right. Give Jesus one more great hand clap. We'll see you tomorrow at 6, Sunday at 10. God bless every one of you. Hey, this is Jonathan Shuttlesworth. I want to thank you for listening to my podcast, or if you're listening to my wife's. Thank you on her behalf. If you want to be more than just a casual listener and stand with us as we take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our generation, go to RevivalToday.com and click Give Now and be a part of the 1,000 monthly partners that we're believing for. I have a special gift that I'll send to you today, and I'll say thank you in advance. Until next time, thanks for listening. See you later.